Welcome to Fashion Your Seatbelt, your first-class seat to one-on-one conversations with the fashion industry's top voices. I'm Jessica Michaud, and I created this podcast to share the joy I have in getting to know all the amazing people who bring this creative, inventive, and extraordinary business to life. You'll get to hear the cadence of their voices, the sound of their laughter, and feel firsthand how passionate they are about what they do. But before we get this show on the road, I just want to remind you to leave a review. Stars are really trending right now. And it also helps other very stylish listeners like yourself find the show. Now buckle up. And let's get started. We're kicking it off in style with this first episode as we're talking to the creative director of Balma, Olivier Gustin. I mean, I'm like the sexiest brand, I think, in a way. And... Um, at the same time, I'm, I think I never speak about sex, so I do, <laughs> you know what I mean? Okay, okay, okay. The trajectory of designer Olivier Roustin is the fashion world's version of the iconic film The Star is Born. He appeared almost out of nowhere to step into the spotlight at the tender age of 25 to become the creative director of the esteemed French fashion house Balma when his predecessor had an artistic burnout and left the company unexpectedly. Since he took his first bow at Balma back in September 2011, Olivier has rocketed to the top of the fashion pyramid, and he has made the brand and himself global household names. His talents as a designer are equaled only by his social media savvy, marketing skills, and the power of a close-knit group of famous friends like Kim Kardashian, Kanye West, Rihanna, Beyonce, and Nicki Minaj, who all love to wear and promote the Balma brand. Clothing that mixes a street-smart aesthetic with the talents of the highly-skilled Bama artisans who bring to life Olivier's sexy, shimmering statement designs. So there's a lot of change and growth going on at Balma, including plans for a rollout of flagship stores around the world, the recent introduction of three new lines of accessories, and a new makeup line in collaboration with L'Oreal, which will debut in September. Today, it's another one of Olivier's collaborations that brings me to the famed Parigani Opera House. He's here, hard at work, designing costumes for new ballet that Sébastien Berthoud, a rising star dancer and choreographer, asked him to create for his ballet, Renaissance. Really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for coming. Thank you. Um, so can you tell me, other people who have done this, other artists, like uh, designers like Karl Lagerfeld yeah. and Christian Lacroix and saint have done what you're doing. How does it feel to be counted among those icons of fashion? I think... You know, this is one of the most incredible experiences I ever had because when I was a kid, I was obviously watching ballet and I loved it. And having the chance to do a little tour in the opera to visit, to check, to they uh, they, they opened me the, the door of the atelier when you see the Christian Lacroix or the Monsieur Saint Laurent or Carl or, and you just see, oh, wow, I'm the next one having the chance to dress. Mm-hmm. Um it's pretty, it's pretty, you know, like it's kind of those experiences that you have in life where you're just like, wow, in 40 years, maybe someone will be there and like me and just saying, oh, there's the barman clothes, you know, mm-hmm. from Olivier. And so you just, it's really like mad- magic, but more than magic, it's really emotional mm-hmm. because, you know, this is not a, a typical collaboration. You know, it's something that is, uh, you know, it's part of the history, the French history. Mm-hmm. So when the opera opened the doors, to you and to your brand and to your universe is not flattered. It's more like honored. You know, it's something really special. How did it come about? Were you designing sketches and then the dance was inspired by that or was it vice versa? 
Uh, it's this versa, I think. It's more like uh, Sebastian, uh, which is the choreographer, like contacted us, and uh, we had a, we had exchange of a conversation, and he was like, you know, what I love about Barman is the couture, and at the same time the modernity, the diversity, but still bring that couture in a really like modern way and sexy and glamour, and and at the same time really French and uh, you and he started to show me a mood board of all what he loved and he showed me as well his dance and uh, and from that I absorbed you know I was just like okay this is what you like for me and this is what you do as well and so I start to sketch and think and propose him and being like what why don't we do this palette this color palette with this kind of stones and with this, those pearls those craftsmanship and we went back and forth because obviously he's not from the moment that you sketch, the moment that you realize, the moment that they wear and the repetition, and you're just like, okay, this is not right because you need to compromise a bit the richness mm -hmm. for the movement. Well, let's talk about that. I mean, how is it different designing for women who have to move in a, in a way maybe that no other person can, something that's so much more physical than maybe something you would design for a runway? It's really different. Really? I mean, it's really different, but I'm used to sketch for different singers on stage. I have the knowledge, in a way, to know how to realize some clothes for dancers, but not for the ballet. The mm -hmm. ballet is really different because the movements are completely different. And and it's a group as well. So it's a little story. Like, I, I didn't want to compromise the richness of the clothes. You know what I mean? Like, why am I not surprised? <laughs> So I'm like, I don't care. I want those bodysuits with those big stones, big pearls. And um, and so we tried. And and Sebastian was like, you know, we need to be careful because, you know, with the chausson, if there is a pearl that falls. So I had to change a bit my, my details mm -hmm. because obviously you understand that you're talking to dancers that are on the point mm -hmm. and they cannot fall. They are not on flat, clearly. Mm -hmm. it's um, So I had to... Um, find the right balance between the richness mm -hmm. and the confidence. And, okay. But it was an incredible experience. Well, talking about incredible experiences and confidence, I just saw that you were on the red carpet at Cannes yeah. with a, a bevy of beautiful women with uh, L'Oreal. Was that your first time going to Cannes and walking the red carpet? Yeah. What was I that mean, like? It's not my first time to be in Cannes, but it was my first time to, the red, to, ride, uh, to be on the red carpet. And yeah. what was that like for you? It's actually... Balmain Paris, uh, Paris, uh, Paris, Opera Paris, and L'Oréal Paris. So it's all, all really like... Oh, very um, French. Very French, but uh, in a, so many different ways. It's just amazing. I mean, L'Oréal is such a great institution. And, um, and I really had fun. Like, I just enjoy so much being with them. And they opened me the doors of L'Oréal as well. Mm -hmm. So there is that thing that is right now really, really interesting. It's Balmain Paris is switching to beauty, to... Uh, to uh, ballet and uh, it feels really like exciting. So we saw all of these amazing, the faces, these women, the faces of L'Oreal wearing, was it a sneak peek of your amazing line of lipstick For now, I don't on know. the red carpet with them? On no. the red carpet, we didn't want to show okay. the, um, the lipstick of the last, co of our collaboration. Yeah. We will uh, introduce you that on the, in September, but we are building like the army of the yeah. girls that are part of the story. And um, and I think it was really important because they're all, wear, they're all obviously wear, wearing Balmain and it's as well showing a different side of Balmain because everybody knows me for, you know, the, the party dresses, mm -hmm. let's say, or, or the glam sexy mm -hmm. uh, till to the age. And there it was as well a glam moment on the red carpet mm -hmm. with long gowns. Mm -hmm. And that was something really, really... 
Okay, so I gotta ask. Interesting. <laughs> okay, I gotta ask. So you've done uh, red carpet, walking the steps at Cannes, and you've also done the Met Gala. What's the difference? How are they? What's the vibe like between the two? There's something really magical, I think, about Cannes, mm-hmm. and there's something. I would say I will I will define a different way. I would say New Met Gala, New York. It's it feels trend. Mm-hmm. There's a trend, mm-hmm. and it's all about the new theme and uh, what's going to be the performance and who's going to be there, who's going to close the red carpet, who's going to be your date. Mm-hmm. And it's New York, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a different vibe. And But there's something fashion mm-hmm. and trendy. Mm-hmm. I mean, Cannes is just timeless. Like when, you are, when you're walking on the red carpet of Cannes and you just go to see nice movies and you are like the best realizator around the world and you have the, the great actresses, mm-hmm. It just feels really and magic, and it's you know it's summer, so it's it's just and it's France. It's just a different. It feels more timeless. Mm-hmm. One is more trend, the other one is timeless. So, you mentioned what about this Balma army? I, I think about the Opera Garnier and ballet, and I just don't know. Can you imagine the Balma army and that connecting together? I mean, that, that is that your audience, or are you hoping that to be your audience in the future? People who attend the ballet. You know what, like. I don't hope anything. It just comes to us and 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 I think people love to put me in a box of that kind of guy for that kind of clothes mm. for that kind of brand, you know. Just you know, I would say I have a big label on my face and my forehead, but I mean I think I my Bahman army is uh, can be like the dancer of the ballet to the incredible bombshells from L'Oréal to being uh, I don't know like a, a millennial insta uh, it can be everything mm-hmm. like I don't think I'm just one kind of guy like I have so many things that inspires me mm-hmm. and sometimes people forget mm-hmm. you know or maybe what what I'm building and. Mm-hmm. They misunderstand. So, because you you are building. I've never. You're incredibly driven. It feels like there's something new every week happening with you. That you're. It's a nonstop whirlwind. It's nonstop work. But at the beginning, we're, I'm gonna. We're taking you back now. At the beginning, when you were um, first adopted, you've talked about yeah. in the press quite a lot that you always felt that you were worried that you had to overperform, um, worried that somehow they would think, oh, they made the wrong choice and, yeah. and send you back. When was the point in your life when you went like? That's not going to happen anymore. That I'm gonna. That this is for real, and I'm safe. You mean in uh, in fashion or in general? In, in general, like when did you finally say, you know, I'm I'm good? I think I never say that. Really? I think it's never enough. Okay. Okay. That's the reality. I don't think I had even once a moment where I'm just like, okay. I mean, it's always like an insatisfaction of yourself trying to do always better <clears throat> and nonstop and. Um, and this fear that tomorrow can stop. Mm-hmm. I think I always have that since I'm a kid. So I think this is what I think is interesting in my life is that I always think I can do better, I can do more. And I'm the first one to never stop myself, mm-hmm. to just be like, push yourself. Mm-hmm. Don't be satisfied of what you have today because mm-hmm. you can always have better. Mm-hmm. So, Do you think um, you're going to be 32, I think, this year? and. Mm-hmm. Um, do you ever think about that yourself, like adopting it in the future? Is that something that you would envision for yourself? Um, this is a good question. You know, when you adopt it, you, sometimes you feel like you wish that you could uh, give to someone your origins. Mm. Because when you don't have your origins, you just feel like you wish you could give at least what you have to to a kid. So 
I mean, I will obviously be not against adopting, but I will be happy to have my own child. Mm -hmm. so. Okay. But I think I would have both. And then when you were, so you were very precocious, you graduated, got out of high school two years early, incredibly mm. driven, and then you have a couple party years in, in, in uh, Italy, right. and, then you, and then you go into designing at Roberto Cavalli without mm -hmm. any official you know, no. degree or anything. Mm. So what was that like, learning on the job like that? I think it's, you know, um, I think I don't, I, I don't say that it's not good to school, but I think it's always better to have the real life. You learn so much more. And, um, and it was really interesting and really, really new to me. And the language was different. Uh, Florence is an amazing city, but, you know, there is even a different language from Italy. Like, it's not the same Italian than... It was a really intense. And, uh, and let's say that Cavalli was a big, big house at the time. Mm -hmm. So... Um, I had a chance to meet Peter Dundas. That has been really nice to me at the beginning. We were like really working together, but after he had to leave for Ungaro, so I had my own experience there, and it was really, really interesting. I think I learned so much from Italy. I learned the business side mm. because Italian companies are huge, and they and it's they know how to sell, mm -hmm. you know. So I think I learned a lot from them, and um, but I wanted to come back to Paris and have my French uh, traditions in a way. So. Mm -hmm. And then, okay, so another crazy moment in time. You go to Balma, you're working in the, behind the scenes, nobody knows who you mm. are, and then your predecessor has a bit of a burnout, mm. and all of a sudden at 25, you're taking a bow at Balma. Yeah. What, what the hell happened there? What was that like for you? I, I, you know what? Like, I think I didn't realize that I was a creative director till, till the moment where I went on the, on the catwalk and I take a bow, you know, because at the end of the day... You don't understand what what does it mean to be a designer. Actually, no. You know how you know what it is to be a designer, but you don't understand what it is to be a creative director. Mm. And this, I think, is what I learned. I didn't learn the first season because the first season you're scared of. Oh, I don't want that the model falls. I want to have all my clothes on time. You know, I hope that the right color, right palette, da da da. da. Um, and at the end, you just you're just like seriously, this is your first, your only fear, and you're at the end of like. It's way beyond. It's way bigger than that, and this you learn after, from the second season, the third season. It's a huge business. Mm -hmm. uh, people's gonna love you one day. They're gonna ruin you the day after. Mm -hmm. uh, you are on the spotlight for everything that you do, mm -hmm. or you decide because I decided, and obviously, like some designers decide to not. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, you have to face so many things: the business side, the creativity. Um, be creative, but not too much because you need to sell be uh, international but not too much because after people in Paris going to feel like oh he's not French anymore mm -hmm. you know like you have so many things that please your front row but don't please them too much because you know they're getting old uh, <laughs> you know like at the end of the day you're just like so many things but it's what I love it's just that it's it's full of so many incredible adventures mm -hmm. well I mean what I thought was really amazing about what you've done at the house is that you well a couple of things one is that you were able to have this street element but then you anytime you would see it you could also see the amazing craftsmanship mm. so it might have had a street vibe to it but right. the the workmanship that went into the pieces was ridiculous yes. but I, even more than that and that that's quite substantial was this diversity in in color yeah. palette of the models and the yeah. ages of the models of yeah. the bodies of the models and why was that so important to you as a designer because that's really actually quite unique it's always been part of my life to be to love diversity like you know what makes me sad 
it's actually that we are talking about it. Yeah. You know, it means that at the end of the day, it's so not common. Like, it still today feels unique to be dive to love diversity. Like, I don't know. It's just so so sad when you can see that my show uh, is different from the others because it means that the others are like all not diverse, and this is what makes me sad. Like, I, I mean. I think I think the problem of fashion is that we all talk about modern and what is modern and but I think sometimes you you escape what is the real important topics in fashion. You have to talk to a, a new generation, to a different generation. Mm-hmm. And when you say there is a street there is a street style but with a craftsmanship mm-hmm. because I love the richness, I love the couture, I love the luxury, the feel unique but I love the cool. I love to talk to young people. Mm-hmm. I love to talk to my generation. So obviously when you work in luxury, you know that your customer mm-hmm. might not be everybody. But me, I always loved to stay connected to the real world mm-hmm. with the magic of what makes you dream because fashion is as well a dream. Mm-hmm. So that's why I think I mix the dream of couture with the realness of uh, the reality of, uh, of street with talking to my generation, which means diverse. Mm-hmm and young and different bodies and I love I just embracing it like well I mean I think that's what the H&M collaboration was all about was a way of, of touching directly the, yeah. the your Bauma army yeah and so and it, 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 this was crazy as well yeah yeah I heard you try to go and like kind of sneak into line and, and feel the experience with them and, and, and it just was too much of a madhouse for you mm. to do that is that right yeah I had to leave but this was something really unexpected huh? mm. really we, are you surprised by that uh, oh, yes no, I mean, no, no, to be honest, we were surprised because, I mean, H&M is always a success. Whatever brand they, they're going to have, it's always like the excitement. Mm-hmm. But I have to say that Bauman was, I mean, they never had that before mm-hmm. because he was like... Did you have to convince Balma to let you do it or was that... No, I mean, they proposed and 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 they asked me, my president that actually passed away was uh, mm-hmm. the one before, asked me, what do you think? And I was just like, honestly... Uh, I think when you when H and M open you the doors, it means that the brand is relevant mm-hmm. again for a new generation. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I just say like I remember when I was a kid and I was queuing to get like the Karl Lagerfeld, and when yeah, I it's yours, when it's yours, you're just like okay, one more step in fashion. But I think you're reaching out to maybe your slightly older Balma generation that still can afford the ready-to-wear with your launching. You've launched three new accessory lines, yeah. Renaissance, Balma, Le 44, and uh, Domaine. Domaine, mm. yeah. So this is finally like this maybe middle ground. Or yeah. certain, what has happened like for you? Because, as again, it's not designing clothing, it's not ballet, it's designing accessories. As yeah. how's, what's that adventure been like for you? It's just a lot of fun. I love accessories. I just I didn't want to rush before. Uh, that's why I, I waited for um, a, a bit to really m- launch my accessories. But, you know, like, it's really new for a French brand, for a house, for a ready-to-wear house, to be 90% based on the ready-to-wear. Yeah, which is um, ridiculous. That never happens. And that also your most of your sales are in Europe, like the biggest yeah. percentage in Europe, which is Because awesome. I don't have so many retails, you know, mm. like it's... I mean, people forget that Barman, even if the image can be big in a way, mm-hmm. like it's... It's uh, it's really fresh in a way. Like it's it's really new compared to some other houses. Even if Batman had a long past, yeah. After it's a it's a house that slept yeah, and came back. Sleeping Beauty, yeah. Yeah, a pretty Sleeping Beauty, I have to say. <laughs> but um, but yes. Yeah, so at the end, like accessories were important to launch, uh, and I wanted to define exactly to make sure that 
you know who is the barman girl, you know who is the, who is the barman man, you know what is the taste of the house, what, they, what is the identity, and from that, you build your accessories. Mm -hmm. I don't want to rush and just do a lot of things for nothing. Yeah. So, so what was key for you to have in these accessories that, that you felt? I think it was important for me to find a way that it's in the, in the barman's silhouette because you know that everything starts from the shoulders mm -hmm. and of the waist. And, and so obviously when you, have, when you add an extra element somewhere, you need to find the balance. So that's why it was really interesting to work on the proportions mm. and to understand what kind of proportion I love, what kind of proportion barman women would love and what kind of codes because what are my codes that I, I want to push. It's a long, it's a long process of, of thinking, you know, because, and you can't, and you can't, you can't be wrong with accessories, you yeah. know, because if your collection is shit, like it's shit. Let's talk a little bit about social media because it's something that everyone seems to have to talk about when they talk about, with you. Yeah. Um, like 4.6 million followers now, you know, you basically put Bama on the map to a certain extent because of your own personal mm -hmm. feed. Um, what got you first excited about social media? What made you decide, like, this is what I'm doing, this is how we're going to kind of market ourselves? I mean, was there a conscious thought or was it more no. like, I just want to put up some selfies and let's see I think there is nothing that was calculated in that way. Me, I wanted to have Instagram and to push my life to show that no matter what I have today, I show you uh, the other side of me. So it's, it could be like the selfie, it could be the picture of my mom, it could be the party, it could be the backstage of my show, the behind the scene. I think Instagram helped me to develop my own vision mm -hmm. without magazines. I've noticed, I've met you a couple of times and I've also met Kim Kardashian a couple of times and I know the two of you are good friends, mm. but I also find that you're both very, very shy people at the same mm. time as very savvy social media people how does that dichotomy work between that being so smart social media and, and talking to the world and yet being very shy people and fundamentally i think it's i think it's i think it's really really interesting what you asked me and it's uh, definitely true um i mean there's a lot of um Social media, can t you can take it so wrong and just think like, oh my God, there's so many selfies that you love so much yourself and, and you're so out there. Mm -hmm. When actually at the end of the day, I think the people that share so much are maybe the people that are the shyest in real. And you decide to show a part of you that you want, like the part of your life that you're going to say, okay, this is going to be my life and I'm going to give you that, mm -hmm. you know. And people, you're going to get that of me. Mm -hmm. And it's a way to actually to push a sense in that direction and don't look the other side of me that I might not want to share with you. So don't look I, at the man behind the curtain. Voilà. Yeah. And so it's a nice, I mean, it's a nice way, but I think she's, I think you're right. Like Kim is super shy. And at the same time, she's there and it's Kim. And I think it's the same with me. Like I'm, I'm super, I mean, I, I'm like the sexiest brand, I think, in a way. And at the same time, I'm, I think I never speak about sex, so I, you know what I mean? <laughs> okay, okay, okay. All right, so I ask these same five questions to everybody I interview because these are the five generic fashion questions that people always get asked, yeah. so it'll be quick and easy. Yeah. So, what is the most treasured piece of clothing you own? Uh, old trench coat of my grandfather. Okay. What is the one item clothing that every woman should really invest money in? Uh, a nice tailored jacket. Who is your favorite designer, living or dead? 
who is my favorite designer. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting because I, I have two. That's okay. Can I? I'll give you permission to have two, yes. I would say Karl Lagerfeld and I would say Tom Ford. It's a nice combo. Mm. Um, what is the one fashion trend you will never follow? Um, no, I'm not going to say that. Because oh, come on, say that. <laughs> no, because <laughs> after you understand exactly what I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> uh, um, uh, okay. Um, because I have two now, I'm just like, no, this one, you're going to associate straight away to that. This one, no. Uh, okay, what I would never follow, it's too sporty. Oh, that is such a cop-out. Okay, all right. You can whisper to my ear later. Um, final question. What do you love most about fashion? I think what I love the most about fashion is not thinking of fashion. I think what I prefer in fashion is actually when you create a show to not talk to fashion, but to express something else than just fashion. Like... Like at the end, like we have the chance to, to work in art and with our fashion, we can express what we feel today, whatever political or whatever, like, uh, I mean, actually what I learned just the most in fashion is actually not fashion, it's just what is around. Thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a real pleasure. Mwah. Mwah. Um, Good. Quick selfie. You yes. Me? Okay. Don't want to miss an episode of Fashion Your Seatbelt? No problem. Just go to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and click on the subscribe button. Then every new episode will drop into your feed automatically. No fuss, no muss. Fashion Your Seatbelt is made possible thanks to the wonderful people at Launchmetrics, the software company that is powering the fashion industry, and GPS Radar, the members-only website where leading fashion brands and media connect in style. I am a member of GPS Radar, and I can tell you, as a journalist, it has made my work life run much more smoothly. Believe me, I know. I'm Jessica Michaud.